good evening and Merry Christmas to you. Let me, let me just ask you, a little straw poll here. This is very informal right now and totally impromptu. Um, would it be, I know the kids are the special, they're the special, not guests, but they're the special ones always, but especially uh, today because they're here um, in, in mass, but also because Christmas is all about a child. So I wonder, here's the impromptu thing. Parent, this is up to parents, but would, would it be good or, or better or okay with y'all if some of your kids that wanted to sat here, if you wanted to sit with them, you could. We don't have to do that. Just give me a, a nod or with that. Okay, you want to stay where you are? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, if, <laughs> if, okay, we tried that and no. Maybe next year. It's fine. I do want y'all to know that uh, kids, I'm talking to you, and not just adult kids, but little kids too. We're really glad you're in here with us. This, this family feels fuller because of that, and you're very much a part of, and this is great. I want y'all to know that. Um, whether you're kids, whether you're here, or whether you're with your parents, I'm talking to you especially tonight, because tonight's your night. Tonight's your night. So we're really glad everyone's here, visitors especially, and, and family. You're very welcome. Um, so children, why is tonight, why is it so special? You're obviously with us as we're worshiping and as I get to speak for a little bit, but why is tonight really special for you as children? Why is the night before Christmas, why, why, is the, why, is, why are children extra special on the night before Christmas? Can anyone tell me? Any kids? Anyone? Yeah, okay. We got one over here, yeah. Brandon? He's the reason, he's the reason for the passage Nathaniel just read. He's the reason for the season. He's the reason we celebrate. Susu, were you gonna say the same thing? Yeah, good. You're exactly right. You guys are uh, children and a child in particular are the reason that we're all gathered here and dressed up in our finery and, uh, and, and really ready to celebrate. I wanna start out with a little story. And again, kids, I'm really talking especially to you. I have a friend who, his name's Josh, and years ago, he told me and some of us in a room a story about how he was going caving, or I think it's called spelunking. Have any, has anyone, especially kids, but anyone been caving? Have you been underground into a cave where it gets really dark? So I know more than that have, but if, yeah, at least 15, 20, you raise your hands. Uh, and kids, if you've been in a cave, or if you haven't, just imagine this, it's super dark. And the farther down you get, of course, the darker it gets. Why is that? Yeah. Yeah, the sun's above and, and, you're, and, and you can't see the sun at all because you've got rocks. Is that what you're gonna say, Christopher? You have rocks over your head. And so when you get deep down and you take enough turns, you don't have any of that light piercing in through the cave anymore and you have rock over you and it's, it's pitch black. And what's the one thing? The one thing that you have is you have the lights, right? The, the lights on your head, usually if you're going in with a line of people. Um, well, my friend, Josh, he told us a story about how he went into a cave way down underground, maybe a mile or two. And um, see, for us, darkness isn't that big of a deal because we always have lights everywhere we go. And we live in a city, right? But when you go into a cave, it can be really dark. So the guide had them, when they all filed into the cave, he had them all, he said, okay, on three, I want you to turn off your headlamps. And on three, they all turned off their headlamps. And he said it was so dark, I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. Literally, 
You're completely disoriented. You can't see a thing. There's no light at all. And he said, he said, I, I for, had forgotten until that moment that I had shoes on that glowed. And so that was just a little bit of light. But in that cave, it was amazing because it was the only light there was. And his, he could see that light and it was really important. And of course, when you turn your headlamp back on, it's life. That's the only way you're gonna get out of that cave is with that headlamp. And that's the way that um, Isaiah starts out here. He talks about how the Messiah, Jesus, he doesn't say the word Jesus here, but he's talking seven centuries or 700 years before Jesus comes. And he's prophesying. And he's saying this land that he's gonna come live in and spend most of his life, his 33 years in, just west of Galilee, between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean, it's, gonna, it's a land of deep darkness. So think about the darkness of a cave. Think about how when you have complete darkness, you're disoriented, you can't go anywhere, and eventually you die. You get lost, nothing grows, there's no way out, and without a light source, you die. So deep darkness equals, equals death without light. But he says, this land that he's talking about, and this is, this is all for adults too, so now I'm kind of shifting to the adults, but to kids too, this land he's talking about, in about 10 years after or so, about a decade after Isaiah prophesies, these tribes up in the north by Galilee, north of Jerusalem, um, on the, along the coast of the Mediterranean, the 10 northern tribes, especially this area, this area gets hit first by the massive empire of Assyria. And Assyria, Devis, they're known as the fiercest people really in the world, in the known world at that time in the ancient Near East. And they take those 10 tribes and they basically eviscerate them. Racial genocide, they just assimilate them. They never really get sent back. They get sent back totally mixed up, as the people call the Samaritans much later. Um, but he says, to you, when the Messiah comes, he's going to live among you and he's going to be this bright light. That's the good news that Isaiah brings. And he says that you're gonna experience light or you've only experienced death and darkness and you're gonna experience the glory of God. And you're gonna experience um, he goes on in verses two, three, and four to say, you're gonna experience joy and you're gonna experience freedom where there was bondage. And the question we gotta ask, and I've already said, but because we know why we're here for Christmas, but the question we have to ask if we're reading this prophecy is how is this gonna happen? Where there's only been darkness, where there's been joylessness and despair, and where there's been bondage, what is gonna bring this liberation and this light? And the answer is surprising in verse six. If you look at verse six, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It might be on the screen, and if it's not, that's fine too. He gives us an amazing answer. He says, how is all this gonna happen? What's gonna bring all this light and joy? A child. And kids, again, this is why you're special. You're always special. Because you remind us of the most important things. And you remind us not to take ourselves too seriously. Um, but you also remind us of, how, of, what, of what God sent us when we needed it most. And what he sent us was a child. Isaiah says in verse six, he says, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And I want you to hang on to those words. I'll return to them in just a second. Don't worry, this sermon's gonna be much shorter. Um, he says that child is not, it's not for anyone else but to us. The child is sent by God to us and for us who dwell in darkness. And I, and I just wanna pause here and say, um, one of my friends that I talked to yesterday was reflecting through some really hard stuff he's experienced lately 
and just in reflecting again during this Advent season on Christmas, he said, you know, I realized in thinking about, you know, oh, silent night, oh, holy night, a lot of times it's, there's a gauze over it as we sing about it. But really what Christmas is about and what the baby is about and what the child being born to us and given to us is about is about God coming to us in our deepest pain. It's about God coming to us in our darkness, not when we're doing well. When we are dead and dying and despairing, this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God entering our darkness and pain. He's that kind of God. That's who he is. That's what, I, that's what Isaiah is telling us here. Um, and he's gonna turn our brightness, he's gonna turn our darkness into light. And um, we, we have to ask if we're reading Isaiah, what kind of child is this gonna be? And a lot of times when you read the Bible or any good book, kids and adults, the answer, if it's written well, is gonna be in the lines that follow, or at least some of it. And that's, that's what Isaiah does here. So what's this child gonna be like? Well, he tells us some amazing things. The first thing he tells us is he's gonna be a wonderful counselor. That word wonderful is, I didn't look it up, but it's almost, in my experience in the Hebrew Bible, almost always used for God, or the word of God, or the things of God, maybe always. Wonderful, what he's done, oftentimes in salvation. So he's gonna be the wisdom of God to us. And then he goes on, he says something more astonishing. He said, this child is actually gonna be called, your name is who you are, your name is your character. He says, this child is gonna be called, get, get ready for this kids, mighty God. This child, little child like you, but even smaller, born tiny baby, fit in that manger right there. He's gonna be called mighty God. He's actually gonna be the God of all might. And Isaiah is writing this to Jews who believed in one God, the creator God. It's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. Um, this baby, if I could just extrapolate a little bit, he's going to be, and we learn this from other places, he's going to be born a child, born of a woman, to fulfill the ancient prophecy from Genesis 3, but not of a man. Nowhere does it say he's gonna be born of a man. His father is God. So he's fully human, born through a woman, but he doesn't receive the sin curse. Who is the only, kids, this is a, you gotta have your thinking caps on. Who's the only other person we know of, the only other man, I should say, that didn't have a father in the Bible? A, a human father. Yes, Adam. Bam, Christopher, you're on it. Well done. Adam, the first man, Adam, his name means man or human. He did not have a father. He had, who was his father? Not not a human father, but God. This, this baby is gonna be called in other texts later by, written by Paul, the second Adam. He's gonna be the only other man in history born not of a human man, but born of God, but through a woman. He has to be a man to experience everything we do and to represent us in his life and in his death. And so he is going to be that, that child and that he's gonna... Um, be tempted as we are. He's going to be our representative and our substitute, but he's gonna be called mighty God. He's God and he's man. It's amazing. But then he says something almost even more mind-blowing. He calls him the third title, everlasting father. That's, that's, that blows my mind and my heart. Everlasting father. Let me just think into this for a second. This son, this child that's gonna be given to us is gonna be the answer for all of our darkness and lostness. Inside of us, our own we, our, our, our yearning, our crying, um, and, and, the, and the lostness of the world. The answer to that, this child, he's gonna be called everlasting father. 
One of the things that we see over and over again when Jesus comes on the scene 700 years later and he's born and he grows up to be a man and he starts his ministry is that one of his disciples approaches him and he says, he's ta- God, Jesus is talking about his father. And, he, and, and uh, one of his disciples, Philip, I think it is, approaches him and he says, Jesus, just show us the father and it's enough. And what does he say? He says, Philip, have you, not, have you been with me so long and yet you don't know that when you see me, what? You've seen the Father. Jesus Christ, when we see the face of Christ, we see the heart of God the Father. When we look at Jesus and who he is and his heart of compassion and what he's done for us, we see the Father himself. We see God the Father reaching out to us. Um, Hebrews 1.3 says this in a different way. It says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the Father. He's the radiance of the glory or the character uh, and the light and the goodness. All that God is, Jesus is the radiation. He's the going out. He's the going out of that. He's the emanation of that. Um, and I want to just illustrate that by way of returning to someone that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, kind of unfairly. He was a friend of mine and he was very, very sick. Very sick. So sick that his whole body was yellow. And he was on death's door, I'm gonna be honest. He was, that's why I went to see him. He was in Galveston. And I'm, re, I'm returning to him to illustrate this, but also to, to tell you that um, I, didn't, I didn't tell you the end of the story. Apparently, I got done with a sermon and told, him, told you all about how I went to see him. And he had been running from God and hating God and rebelling against God. He knew it for, for years, for over 10 years. And just into all sorts of, of sins and rebellions that he knew about and he freely admitted running as far from God as he could. And he felt like God was pushing him away. But I never, what I never told you is how it ended up. I kind of thought I did, but people were like, what happened? <laughs> okay, so let me, let me close the loop here and illustrate this point about Jesus, this Messiah being our everlasting father. One of the things that my friend and I talked about, I said, what do you think it is that's keeping you from believing that Jesus came for you? And he said, my sin. And I said, my friend, that's exactly why the father, the child was given to us. The father sent us his son. When we see Jesus, we see someone that's a rescuer for us that was sent by whom? The father. Um, The father. And I said, you have been running from God, but I couldn't sleep last night because God kept knocking on my door telling me, go see this, go see this man. He's on death's door. And I went and I said, me coming here is an expression to you of the fact that the father runs to meet you. And Jesus Christ he came all the way down and let go of all of his privileges to rescue us, to live the life that we can't live of obedience to the Father from the heart and to die the death that we deserve on the cross. And this is an expression to us of exactly what the Father's like. That's, what, that's one of the things that Isaiah and others are telling us. And it's one of the things that Jesus, that Jesus shows us so clearly. Um, and what I wanted to tell you is that... Um, we see this fourth title, he's our prince of peace. He brings us peace, the peace that we seek in a thousand other ways but, but can't seem to find. It's like when you're hiking, and I use this illustration a lot because it works, but when you're hiking and you're with a guide maybe and the guide keeps saying, even if you're not with a guide, and you're hiking a, a tall peak in Colorado, let's say, and you, either the guide keeps saying or you keep thinking, it, just over that hill, that's the top. And you just keep thinking that, unless you're an experienced mountaineer, I've hiked let's say 10 mountains or hills in my life. And if they have multiple peaks, I'm always thinking the more tired I get, especially the more I think that's gotta be the one. 
and it never seems to be the one. And that's what we do. We're constantly seeking peace and we're constantly seeking satisfaction and light in other created things. But Isaiah is telling us there's one who's gonna come who's actually gonna bring us light, who's actually gonna uh, pierce our darkness and he's going to restore our relationship with the Father and he's gonna be the Prince of Peace. He's gonna bring the peace that we've been looking for and that we strive after. He actually is gonna be our peace. Um, and, and thinking back to my friend saying, my sin is what stands between me and God, that's exactly why Jesus came, to be a sin sacrifice for you, to, to be the one who stands between you and God. You know, God in the Psalms, he calls himself a shield. And a sh- what does a shield do? Kids, adults, what does a shield do? Yeah. It protects you, and how does it protect you? When someone's coming at you with a sword, you hold up a shield, and what happens? Do you get hit or does the shield get hit? Yeah, the shield gets hit. Seth, you were gonna say the same thing, right? Thank you. The shield's the one that takes the hit and God said, I'm that, I'm a shield. Jesus came and took the hit in our place and paid for our sin, allowing God to be just and to deal with sin and not to wink at it and, and throw it under the rug, to actually be a just and holy God, but also to show us his love and that he was willing and glad to punish his son in our place so we could be saved and rescued. And this is how Christ purchases our peace and this is how he is the Prince of Peace. And this is what my friend came to understand and, and prayed to understand and receive for himself, um, realizing that God wasn't, God wasn't holding him at a distance, quite the contrary. God was showing himself as a father who sent his son to run after this man and to send me to go tell him that good news. Um, and that's our message and that's the message, message of Christmas um, and, and so the question is, um, he's, he's all these wonderful things, these mind-blowing things, this child that's gonna be given to us. But the question is, how is he gonna, and I've already, I've already said it, but how is, as I close down, how is he going to be these things? How is he gonna purchase this peace for us? How is he gonna be a light to us in our darkness? How is he gonna bring about not just peace for us internally, but what does Isaiah say here in verses five and seven? Worldwide peace. Wars are gonna cease someday because of, this, because of this king. We're not gonna need locks on doors one day, one day, because of this king. We're not gonna cry any more tears because of this king. We're not gonna have any more unfulfilled longings because of this king. We're, um, there's gonna be peace, no more wars, no more locks. And how, so how, do, how is this accomplished? And the answer is right here in the text. The answer is in the middle of verse six. It says what? It says the government Right in the middle of our six, it says what? The government will be on his shoulders. And that is exactly, we see 700 years later, this unfold in living color, where Jesus Christ takes a Roman cross. The Roman cross was, was uh, something that, the, it was almost like a sign for imperial, imperial Rome and her harshness and her dominance. He takes a Roman cross, an instrument of extreme torture and shameful execution literally on his shoulders and he marches it up the hill and he's crucified on it for us. Martin Luther, the great reformer said this, he said, when we think about Christmas morning and the, the cradle or the, it, we say cradle and we think, oh, that's so nice, it's a little Moses basket. No, it wasn't, it was, in a, it was a feed trough. When he sat down in that, no doubt, wooden feed trough with hay, Martin Luther says, when we look at that wooden cradle, that poverty and pain that he, none of us chose to be born. He chose to be born and and also he chose to be born in that way, poor, to say, I'm coming to take your pain upon myself and my shoulders. Luther says, that wooden cradle 
ought, it points to and ought to point us straight to what? The wood of the cross. Why? Because Jesus came for one reason. He came to die. His mission was clear. His mission was to live the life that we can't live of perfect obedience to the Father and delight. Not deserving to die. The first person in history not deserving any judgment from the Father. So why was he judged? He was judged in our place. He was born to die. That was his mission. He came for you. He's running out to meet you. He's showing you the heart of the compassion of the everlasting Father with his arms outstretched. This is exactly what God's like. There's no dichotomy between the Father and Jesus, the Son. The Son shows us the radiance and the glory of the Father. And as I say, glory, just wrapping up and, and finishing, it takes us back to that first verse, doesn't it? Where Isaiah says, a, a land of deep darkness is gonna experience light and the glory of God himself. Turns out that's where Jesus lived most of his life. How does Jesus show us the glory of God? And the answer that Isaiah gives us, the answer that Paul in his epistles gives us, the answer that Luther gives us later, but the answer most of all that Jesus in his own life and death give us is this. On that cross, hanging on that splintered Roman cross that he came to hang on in our place, this amazingly, mind-blowingly, heart-blowingly is the way that he most shows us what God is like and most shows us the glory and the might and the power and the wonder of our God, of the one true God. The humility and the love of God are such that the cross shows us exactly what he's like. This is what he chose to came, come and do for us, and this is what we celebrate when we celebrate this child born on Christmas. Um, Michael Reeves, in his wonderful book, um, I don't even have the title here, Delighting in the Trinity, he said this, and then I'm done. He said this, through Jesus, the Father shows us his innermost being, or his glory, in the form of a servant dying on a cross. So back to my friends, Josh, Josh friend, kids in his shoes. Remember the cave? I'm, I'm done, don't worry, I'm done. The, uh, the cave that he went into, remember and how dark it was and how, what did their guide have him do? They, he had them all turn off their, their headlamps and his shoes kind of showed him, they glowed and normally outside you can't even see the glow but when there's no light at all, every, every little bit of light counts. And in a second we're gonna, well, we're probably not gonna turn off the lights because we we're not that on it as a church. <laughs> we're not an on it church, but we're a family and we love each other and we're glad you're here and you're always welcome. But normally in this kind of scenario, it's a little later, it's darker, turn off the lights and then we all usually do what we're gonna do. We're gonna light a candle in the midst of that darkness and, and, and those lights, the light of Christ himself are going to be really important to us if there's, no, if there's no light because it's the only light there is. And this is what Isaiah is telling us. And this is what I want you to remember when you think about Jesus and why he was born into our darkness. Um, and this is what I want you to think about when you think about my friend's shoes is that without Jesus, there is no light. But Jesus is the light of the world and, and, he, and he is about setting all things to rights. And he's going to do it. And he's doing it now through you. And he's calling you to himself. And so it's the reason we celebrate Christmas. It's why we're here. And I just want to say Merry Christmas. Kids to you, adults to you. Thanks so much for being here. God bless you. You want me to pray? Yes, let me pray. Of course. Father God, I just thank you so much for showing us exactly what you're like by sending us your son. It wasn't, 
It wasn't something you conjured up after Adam sinned. It wasn't like, oh man, plan B. It was something that you had decided in the, in the uh, before time began, in the councils of eternity, you, Father, decided with your son, and the son was glad to do it. He was going to go. He was going to be sent by you, given to us in the fullness of time to save us, to, to pierce our darkness as a light of the world and to be pierced and seemingly extinguished only to start a light that's still burning today and that's burning around the world. And I pray, Father, that um, when we think about Christmas, we think about this light, we think about Jesus and the fact that he was born to die, he was born to live and to die in our place for us. We think about your love for us and that sin is not a problem because of Jesus. He's taking care of that problem. We would run to him. And I pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't done that, that they would do it now and tonight that uh, Christmas might be a celebration from their hearts of what you've done, not in general, but for them. Because it's not a mass of people you come after. It's each single individual with faces and names. It's us here tonight. So we bless you in Jesus' name uh, for giving us your son. King Jesus, we praise you. We love you. Amen.